Death on the Nile brought me back to the theaters, but how did it do? We're going to discuss that and also episode 7 of Peacemaker on today's episode of the Geek Watch Podcast. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 138 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petra. Hi, Brian. Let's start out with Death on a Nile. Oh, yeah. Which I did get a chance to see yesterday. And I'm going to talk about the movie in just a little bit, but there were a couple things that I did want to mention. One of the things that I noticed looking at the movies that are playing in the theaters is that there are a lot of films that are playing now that have been playing for a long time. Normally, back in the normal days, do you remember the normal days? A little bit, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think we were allowed to meet up in large groups and stuff at one point of time. That's, oh, yeah. That seems vaguely familiar. But there was a time when movies would go into the theater and you'd get maybe about a month or so and that would be it. And then other films would be there to replace them. Now, the way things are, because a lot of the studios are holding on to their movies because they're not sure about COVID and they're worried that we're going to get another outbreak. And so a lot of movies are getting a lot more showtime. Hmm. Spider-Man's still playing. It's doing so well. It makes sense that it would still be there. But Ghostbusters Afterlife is still in the theaters, which surprised me. Yeah, Yeah, I've seen the DVD out. Yeah. Or, or Blu-ray, whatever they're called now. Yeah. Yeah. There was a limited release of Nightmare Alley in glorious noir black and white. <gasps> oh. It was a limited release, and they showed it at a theater here once oh. at 2.30 in the afternoon. Well, that's a weird time. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> why would you do that? It made no sense, and of course, I couldn't go see it because it was the afternoon. I was I was at work, so I couldn't see it. Right. Hopefully, they'll release this version on a Blu-ray. Okay. That uh, maybe there'll be a Blu-ray that'll have the color version and the black and white version. I mean, I, I wouldn't hope for any kind of a tragedy, but if content starts getting scarce, they might have to bring that out into Do a it wi- again. <laughs> bring it out into a wider release. <laughs> I'd love to see it on the big screen, but if I can get it on Blu-ray, I'll do that. But, well, uh, it got a couple of Oscar nods, so maybe uh, if the theaters do an Oscar nod run, that might be a nice thing. You know, come see everything that was nominated. But I do want to talk a little bit about uh, Death on the Nile. I'm going to try to avoid spoilers of but wow. Okay. Just wow. It reminds you of those classic films that had the beautiful set pieces. And of course, it's based off of the Agatha Christie novel. And it comes from a, that era where the novel was the travel log for a lot of people who didn't get a chance to go places. Mm-hmm. So, very often, great novels would use exotic locations for their backdrop. So you got to see a lot of of Egypt. So you had that exotic backdrop to put this wonderful mystery in front of. I loved Kenneth Branagh. And he brought a lot of character development in this movie right at the beginning. And I don't think it's going to be much of a spoiler. But it shows our intrepid detective as a young man in World War I. And they're in the trenches Uh and in no man's land. And uh, they're basically being sent to do a suicide run. Oh. And I just sat there and thought, 
You know what those men are thinking right now? They're probably thinking, well, Gal Gadot's in this film, but she's not Wonder Woman in it. <laughs> Damn it. We're in the wrong film with Gal Gadot. If she yep. was one of you know. Uh-huh. So I thought about that scene in Wonder Woman. I'm like, oh, yeah. wrong you person. Don't, you don't have Wonder Woman and Branagh who directed Thor, so he didn't bring him along with him. And <laughs> No, there, that scene was wonderful because it not only showed his cleverness, but it also gave him literally and figuratively a wound that plays very much into the uh, course of the movie. Oh, okay. What's really great about this film, and of course the Agatha Christie novels, is Mm -hmm. it does show the messiness of life. It's not a cut and dry, there's one person who did one bad thing, and in this case a murder, and everybody else is innocent and good-hearted and all that. No. (laughs) No, they have their own problems, and... I think the best mysteries, they show the flaws and foibles of people. And sometimes those flaws can become red herrings because you're like, they're definitely involved in this and they had all these reasons to do it. And they may even do acts that are despicable and possibly even criminal. But that doesn't make them responsible for the murder. For the one that we're looking, the thing that we're exactly. looking at. Exactly. Yeah. There are so many nuanced layers to this movie. There's more than one investigation going on. There are so many little subplots that are going on along with the main story. Mm -hmm. And it's just so well acted. Kenneth Branagh was amazing. We got the return of comedy duo Don French and Jennifer Saunders. Uh, Jennifer Saunders. Jennifer Saunders, if you know, uh, absolutely fabulous. Mm -hmm. She was Adina in that. But uh, they had a TV show, French and Saunders, where they did sketch comedy. And they were amazing. And, and we get to see the reunion of those two Aww. acting in this. And getting to see Russell Brand play a very laid-back role. <laughs> very subdued. Very shy character. Very subdued. But <laughs> Russell Brand has always been this huge, massive personality. Yeah, uh-huh. And to see him basically play completely against type uh-huh. was brilliant. And I have to say, the standout actor in the entire movie had to be Miss Sherry herself, Letitia Wright. She was Ooh, in the film. Uh-huh. And, she, and her role was amazing as well. And mm-hmm. a lot of depth, brilliantly acted, as you could imagine. Right, I yes. love the heck out of what she did with it. Of course, Gal Gadot, fantastic in the film. The character that she played in the film, so much intrigue, and you're just wondering what's going to happen next. I really enjoyed this film. It was a two-hour film that just flew by. Excellent. So I really, really did enjoy that. I went to a theater that a friend of mine manages. I got to run into him after the film, and he mentioned to me the new Batman poster for the Batman. Mm -hmm. The Bat and the Cat. Yeah. That poster. He said, did you see the new poster? And I said, yeah, I did. I I did see it. It's pretty cool. He says, did you see the secret writing? (gasps) I'm like, say what now? He goes, come here. Let me show you this. And I'm standing a foot away from this poster, and I don't see anything. And he says, now, crouch down a little bit and look at it, look up at the poster with the reflection of the lamp. And I could see a different gloss in the poster, and it was huh. writing on the poster. And the writing said, it was like the, uh, the Riddler scribble. Yeah. You are also involved. Find out why. And then it had some of the code that the Riddler's been using, the code message. Oh. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how much you've been following with the Batman, but it's really obvious that in the Batman, the Riddler is set up very much like the Zodiac Killer. Okay. So that's been a lot of his modus operandi 
is the Zodiac Killer, which makes a lot of sense if you know anything about the Zodiac Killer. He was all about leaving clues and codes and puzzles, yeah. and puzzles and daring the police and the, the newspapers to find him. And so mm-hmm. basically this code, somebody actually managed to work this out. When I was looking online, not a lot of people seem to know about this, but there have been a couple people who noticed. Apparently the scribble is also UV sensitive. So if you take oh, a UV take light, a black light yeah. if you take a black light, it'll glow. And if you figure out the code, it will send you to a website that is basically the Riddler asking you riddles through a, uh, like an old school internet text interface. So I thought that was really cool. That is very neat. It's a very interesting Interactive. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, an interesting marketing thing because the only reason my friend knew about this is because he was taking the poster out of the tube to put it up. And the light just happened to hit it in the right way, and he noticed the... Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, otherwise, you would not be able to see this. I was standing right in front of it, not even a foot away, and I couldn't tell. Uh-huh. It was only because of the different gloss that I was able to read it, yeah. you know. But they didn't tell anybody about it. And like I said, except for maybe one video I saw on YouTube where somebody else found it, mm-hmm. not a lot of people are talking about it. Wild. There's a painting of an aristocrat, and if you turn it sideways, there's a skull that you can't see unless you turn the painting sideways. That's what that reminds me of. Oh, yeah. But I think this is great marketing, especially because of the fact that they're not really advertising this. This is a, a special thing for people to find it. It's an Easter egg. Yeah. And especially with the theme of the movie, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. And it's not very often that I say marketing that Warner Brothers did was brilliant. <laughs> I, I realize that, but apparently they did. But talking about DC and heroes, they came out with the new trailer today. The world needs heroes, which normally I would just say, hey, uh, no, they don't because Marvel's taking care of that. No problem. <laughs> Thank you very much. But They're really wanting to promote these films that are coming out in 2022. So we finally got to see some of the footage from Black Adam and some of the footage from Flash and, of course, the Batman, which we've seen a lot more of that. Yeah. But we also got to see a little bit of footage from Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. So they're really pushing the films that they've got coming out, and they're doubling down their efforts. In their cinematic universe. Hopefully, they're going to be able to really get some momentum going. Again, with COVID, there's no telling if the release dates are going to stay constant or we're going to get to see all these films in 2022. Now, they're saying we will. The other question I've got is, is this going to be more HBO Max fodder? Now, my understanding is movies are getting 45-day releases, theaters only, from now on. And that we're not going to be seeing these films simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max, which I think is a good thing for the studios. But I got to wonder about some of these films like Dune and The Matrix. I'm wondering if we're not going to start seeing some lawsuits. Ooh, uh-huh. Because like, why didn't we get that? How, yeah. yeah, why didn't we get that 45-day? Now, yeah. Movies like Dune, I don't think they're going to care too awfully much because they made good money. Mm-hmm. Movies like The Matrix didn't. Yeah. Because what are you going to say? It wasn't a good movie, so it wouldn't have made that kind of money anyway. Mm. Well, we don't know that. Uh-huh. We don't know what kind of money it made because it never got the opportunity. Mm-hmm. So it's all speculation. I guess we will find out in the next few. But uh, but what we do have on HBO Max makes me very happy. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whatever they're giving us, you know. Uh, we will take it. <laughs> I'll we take will, it. <laughs> we will definitely take it. Now, speaking about what's on TV, I did want to take a moment to say that I have seen more episodes of Vox Machina. Oh, I haven't, I haven't got back to it yet. How's yeah. it? Is it doing any better for you? Yeah, I, it's starting to grow on me for okay. sure. I will say that this would have probably been more enjoyable if I had watched any of the Critical Role episodes. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not saying that it's crucial, but I feel like you're definitely going to enjoy it more. Okay. If you go on Nerdist, they do all these videos on the Easter eggs. Oh, okay. Like tons of Easter eggs in there. I'm sure, you know, if you're a fan, you enjoy seeing those Easter eggs too. But they're not going to be anything that I recognize because I haven't watched the show. Mm -hmm. Although I have to say this, and maybe this is me growing as a human being. There was a time where I would have said that that's a flaw of the show. If you need to know Easter eggs to get the full enjoyment of the movie or the TV show, that's a failure because everybody should be able to enjoy it without knowing all the cursory stuff uh, behind it. Mm -hmm. I would have said that in the past. I'm feeling like maybe I'm mellowing as a person. Okay. Uh, I don't think it's that important anymore. I feel that even if a show absolutely requires you to have read something or to have seen something, to even be able to get into the show, it's not as big a deal as I think I would have thought in the past. And I think the reason for that being is I've come to an understanding that making a show that's fan service for people who have been with you for a while isn't a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Especially if the audience for what you're doing is big enough to justify creating it, then I don't think it really matters that not everyone can get into it if they don't know the source material. I think that to say you can't make a TV show or movie based off of a property unless it can stand completely by itself is the same as saying, I don't want to open a Mexican restaurant because what about the people who don't like Mexican? Ah. Well, they can eat somewhere else. Yeah. So I see that if the market is big enough for it, as long as there's enough people who will enjoy your content that justifies making it, go for it. We are living in the world now where it's so much easier to get an audience and we need to take advantage of that. And that may mean creating stuff for niche audiences. Mm -hmm. And niche audiences should be able to have stuff made for them. But this show's growing on me. It's not like the greatest thing that I've ever seen on television. Uh But I'm enjoying how the story's developing. Good. But let's talk about the greatest thing that has ever been on television. Episode 7, the second to the last episode, and wow. Yeah. Let me start this out by saying something that I never thought that I would ever say going into this series. Now I'm starting to wonder if this isn't the best superhero TV show that's ever been put out. (laughs) Not that I don't love all the Marvel shows, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if there's been a Marvel TV show that I've enjoyed as much as I've enjoyed Peacemaker. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it's it's just taking my number one spot. Uh-huh. I really do. When the most disappointing thing is that you don't get to see a fight between a full-grown man and a raccoon is your only complaint about a show, <laughs> it's doing pretty good. Oh, yeah. Oh, the, ra- the raccoon. Yes. Like, <laughs> we didn't get to actually see the fight. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I... I, I love that. I love that Guardians nod. I just love it. It's like raccoons are badass. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought would happen <laughs> if someone tried to pick up a, a raccoon. Pick up a wild animal. And just, <laughs> exactly. But what I loved about the episode, and we're going to go into spoilers, obviously, mm-hmm. but I love how they use that personal battle with White Dragon, yeah. with Chris's father, to be the setup for the final battle. I was wondering how that was all going to work, and I like how they s- they basically split it up 
to have the penultimate show be mm-hmm. that fight and for Chris basically to get that victory. Yep. Uh, yeah. But wow, that yeah. scene. I really thought that we were going to uh, have to have the dragons versus the butterflies. So that came as a shock to me. But, oh, it was just so, like, you want to cheer, but it's so heartbreaking at the same time. And that's yeah. what's so amazing about it. And it's such good actors. Even Robert Patrick. Thank you for making me hate you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. And, gosh, that just gut-wrenching. And it was beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful to watch. How dare a show try to make me cry twice over <laughs> CGI characters? Oh, God. I'm not saying that I did. <laughs> I'm not saying that that happened. But I'm not saying it didn't. I'm saying it didn't. <laughs> I may be lying my ass off when I say it, but I'm <laughs> saying it didn't. But uh, the butterfly? Damn. Yes, just that reach out yeah. little fist bump. Ugh. That and then Eagly. I thought we lost Eagly. I really <laughs> thought that we had ended, uh, ended mm-hmm. Eagly. But that... The moment and the hug and yes. the callback. Uh-huh. That callback. Well, if you don't want to believe, believe in miracles, in miracles. Yep. That, that's on you. <laughs> I can't believe I was so moved by something that on the surface seemed so silly, but daggone, what a punch. Yeah. What a punch that was. And then the reveal of the cow. Yeah. And apparently, you know, Insectosaurus from Monsters vs. Aliens is <laughs> yeah. getting away to feed the butterflies. I'm glad you mentioned that because I looked at that thing and that thing seemed terrified to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it feels to me like this thing is a victim. That's what I was expecting of the cow the whole yeah. time. This was not. Yeah. This is know. an unwilling creature that's yeah. being used by the butterflies. And so... That's going to be the question. Do we get a moral dilemma at the end? It's like, we need to kill this cow to stop the butterflies, but this cow's a victim. Yes. This seems like a very Doctor Who plot to me, because we've seen similar things like that. Um, I'm thinking the Ood. They have the massive brain, and while the Oods turn red-eyed and come after you, but... They're the victims. So. Right. And especially with the fact that they have developed Chris as a character where he doesn't want to kill innocent people anymore. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen if he's faced up against this thing and he realizes the cow's just a victim in all of this and then right. suddenly maybe doesn't want to do it and has a moral choice to make. And I can't believe I'm sitting here right now going... Well, you know, what's going to happen if Peacemaker has to make a moral decision (laughs) and has a crisis of faith? Peacemaker? I mean... That's been his whole show. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like if I went back in the past and told my past self who was watching the Suicide Squad, you know, the best thing about this show is the moral dilemmas that Peacemaker has to deal with. The moral dilemmas that... (laughs) This guy has a moral... What? Is it because he doesn't know whether to shoot it or have sex with it? (laughs) What? What possible moral dilemma could a character this bankrupt be? Well, he does have that prayer with God talking about Eagly and all the things that he would, you know, whether, you know, having sex with the ugly girl. Yeah, exactly. The sex with an ugly girl. So, (laughs) I mean, it's like we're not jumping the shark going, well, he's a completely moral paladin type character. He's just not. He's still who he is, but he's really developed as a character. And he only got one episode left to see where this goes. Yes. But I do hope we get a season two. I do, too. And I, I really do. I keep thinking about that. I hope so. At this point, I can't imagine what they're going to do in the final episode. And to be honest, unless they absolutely just wreck the final episode, if somehow, after mm-hmm. all of this, they can't stick the landing, which I would be shocked. But man, would I be disappointed. 
I think they have set the bar so high for this right now that they've got to deliver a whiz-bang of an ending. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to. And if they wind up doing that, I'm going to have to say that Marvel's going to have their work cut out for them to create a show that does as much and develops as much and is as fun to watch but also has so much heart to it as Peacemaker. And I never thought I would say <laughs> that. But we've got a week to wait, and man, that last episode... Man, yes. I'm sure we'll have a, a ton to talk about when that happens. So so we shall see. Yeah. And with that said, we come to the end of episode 138. Thank you for listening and tune in next time for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch podcast. From Andy Petrie, this is Brian Hatcher. Reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the GeekWatch podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The GeekWatch podcast is a Hanging J production.